You're now locked into Zone 32. Max Mikado, Grant Durflinger, Jake Miller. Only on NeutralZoneInfractions.com. NCI Properties. And ladies and gentlemen, we're back again. This is episode six, seven, eight. I lost count. I don't know. I'm going to say six of the Zone 32 podcast presented to you by NutraZone Infraction. Follow us on Twitter at NZI Properties or online at NutraZoneInfraction.com. Max, Grant, and Jake back at it again with more All 32 action. Now we're going to jump right in because we got a lot of ground to cover from a very, very action-packed, heavy NFL Sunday and Monday, which that Monday. Monday is going to get a very special feature later on in the show. First things first, Ravens news. Gentlemen, I am, am a rude master of ceremonies. I forgot to ask, how are you guys feeling? Shit, I'm good. Have- I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. We got some topics today, boy. <laughs> See, this is what happens sure. when we got the long layover, which, Jake, you're going to get into your layover in just a little bit. Um, so we're going to get down to business. First off, uh, breaking news as of Tuesday, the Ravens are signing veteran quarterback, corner, not quarterback, Tremon Williams to the active roster. This looks like a depth move for Baltimore. Grant, your first reaction. I will start with you. How do you feel about Tremon being a Baltimore Raven? I think it's a solid addition. Uh, you know, you look at a guy who's got that kind of gritty edge to him and, you know, he comes from, you know, a long line of aggressive playmakers. He fills a void. He's had, you know, spots over the year, you know, past couple of years playing specifically last year, um, getting some safety role, you know, and Wink's kind of, you know, revolving defense, you know, kind of rotating in and out personnel. You know, that's a good position to have that can mask coverages. Um, you know, he's going to be a veteran presence in the locker room on a minimum deal. Um, I think it's a great fit with the injuries we had. I mean, we saw what happened, you know, last week, and we'll get into that later. But, you know, they they picked a target and they, and they pinpointed on him. And you can expect a lot more of that unless, you know, there's a change on the inside, which in combination also with Marlon Humphrey coming back allows him to kick out and Jimmy Smith getting more action at safety and kind of in, you know, those uh, one-on-one situations is maybe like a dime linebacker almost to lock up on – you know, tight ends, but, you know, I don't even really think the Patriots have a healthy tight end right now. So it could be nor here nor there, but, um, you know, I think it's a great signing, you know, hopefully they can get him rolling. Cause I had heard when they brought him in for the workout that uh, they had already kind of started the COVID protocol. So, you know, he's able to practice right away from my understanding, but, you know, I like the signing. I think it's going to pay off in the locker room and on the field. Um, so let's see what the old man's got. Now, Jake, talk to me and enlighten me in the masses here. I don't recall a whole heck of a lot about the former Green Bay Packers standout. Um, what kind of impact do you think Tremont Williams can have, whether it's this Sunday against the Patriots or even beyond in the short term? Well, to piggyback off of what you said earlier, it's exactly what you called it, a depth move. In case Marlin or, or Marcus Peters or Jimmy Smith or somebody, if someone comes down with COVID or gets hurt, Tremont Williams comes in to step in, whether it's outside or inside. He'll most likely play the slot and give some relief there. Basically relegate Terrell Bonds to the vet, to the bench eventually, but we'll wait. We'll see what happens. I like him as a vet. It works. I don't expect him to be the primary nickel, not by any stretch of the imagination. If that was the case, they would have made that move a long time ago. This was one of those things being like, we didn't have our primary nickel and pretty much everywhere corner in Marlon Humphrey on Sunday. So we don't want to be caught with our pants down again because Terrell Bonds got picked on plain and simple. When I was at the game, he was getting picked on just like against Pittsburgh, just like against the Colts. They found, and they 
they figured out whether or not Terrell Bonds could cover another receiver. And it wasn't great. This is, it wasn't great. I'm not going to lie. No, here's the thing. You mentioned being at the game. I'm not going to let you off the hook that easily. You got stories to tell, my friend. So as we get into our recap of the Ravens and Colts this past Sunday, a little uh, administrative background here. The Ravens, of course, uh, defeated the Indianapolis Colts at Lucas Oil Stadium uh, by a score. What was it? 24 to 10, guys. I don't have notes in front of me. 24 to 10. Am I right? It was. That's the exact score. 24 to 10, of course, after a deficit at halftime. This was the first time in Lamar Jackson's career since becoming a starter that he has come back from a deficit at halftime. Uh, first time in 11 tries um, that he has done so successfully since 2018. As a matter of fact, uh, that was when he took over for uh, Joe Flacco, who we'll also get into later in the show. Now, Jake, talk to me about your time in Indy. I want you to be as, as as colorful as you'd like to be. I want you to be as descriptive as you can possibly be. What was it like behind enemy lines for this uh, fantastic comeback victory? Oh, man. Well, I flew in on Friday into the Cincinnati airport located in northern Kentucky, which makes no sense to me. Like, you you have an airport in from one state and one city in one state, but your actual airport is in a different city in a different state. What are you doing here? We, we got things all messed up here, partner. But nonetheless, it's actually very pretty out there. It's a, it's, it's a yeah, it's not all that diverse. But then I, mean, I don't care about that. It's nice food, nice people who like to wrangle around their corn. And to be honest, I didn't, I didn't get nearly the grief from those people that I did from Raiders fans. I respect the nation because they, whether they're 0-16 or 16-0, they'll shit talk you all day. They don't care. You just got to make sure you get out of there before they lose because then things might get dicey. But my state, but my time in Indianapolis, I ate a steak sandwich from a tailgate that I was, that I was a part of Went inside. There happened to be a Ravens fan right there on the corner with me next to the two Colts fans. I happened to go to the game with, it was a good time. Honestly, I didn't get much grief from those people at all. I actually don't beef with the Colts. I'm not going to lie. And I think those, I'm going to be a pariah for this. I'm not going to front. But 1983, if I remember correct, Bob Ursay packed up the Colts in the middle of the night in the Mayflower truck and moved them from Baltimore to Indianapolis. Since then, they won one Super Bowl. 1995-96, Art Modell moved that team from Cleveland to Baltimore, and they couldn't be the Browns because the city of Cleveland retained the rights to the Browns. So then they became the Ravens. Since then. They've won two Super Bowls, had many, have more than a few division titles, a very good record, and a well-respected organization within a 25-year span. As far as I'm concerned, there's no need to hate the Colts for moving. If you got beef with me, at me on Twitter. I don't care. Of course, mind you, I can say that because I'm not a Baltimore resident. So, hey there, fella. But nonetheless, I'll tell you straight up. You have a better product. Ain't no need beef with the Colts about that. Maybe with the being beaten by Adam Vinatieri in 2006 or <laughs> Peyton Manning because he's Peyton Manning and he has a five head, like a greater receding hairline than I do, but I'm still handsome. So there's a difference. <laughs> but anyway, no, no need to beef with the Colts. They're not bad people. They're just, they're country as hell. And honestly, that's a good team over there. They have, they, I'm, I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back to that beef in a second before we get to Grant's analysis of, of this past Sunday's game. Did you get to hook up with uh, NZI's handsome Drew while you guys were both in town for the game? 
Man, so that fella decided not to come by. I didn't hear uh, anything from him. I said, come to this corner right here, right in front of the stadium. We had some ribeye sandwiches we were making, too. Little was grilled up some peppers, some mushrooms, thin-cut ribeyes. Delicious. Little provolone on the top. That man didn't come through. He found where I was sitting because he found me on Twitter and all. He'd be like, who's here? And I took a picture with my busted-up camera showing exactly why I was. Of course, mind you, I had... A face mask over my face and a bandana over my head, simply and looking almost like I'll just cover myself like a ninja. Like you're but gonna rob so, the place. <laughs> a bit of both, because the face covering was one thing and the bandana was the other. That was most because I'm a pacey ass white dude who gets burned in the sun. That's what it is. And they opened the rooftop for that game. It was not a dome. Think, but either uh, way, he did not come by. Short stuff I should say. Drew just didn't want to ruin his abs by joining in on a tailgate. He's got to keep up appearances, literally. So, you know, you know. You ain't wrong about that, but hey, I may eat good, but I still look good. Yeah. As much I could tell you, you feel me? Shout, shout out to Handsome Drew from NZI. Check out his uh, Washington football team content that I know he so uh, begrudgingly writes for us. <laughs> um, but uh, so hitting on your rivalry portion, um, City of Baltimore, the grudge. I've got a... um piece that is coming out before the next Ravens Browns primetime game covering the history of the Browns and Raiders and the city of Cleveland's hatred or excuse me Browns and Ravens covering the city's hatred of the Ravens um but yeah there was really no reason for Ravens fans to hate the Colts uh for that 1984 Mayflower move anymore because uh Ravens beat the Colts in the playoffs Andrew Luck and all them and the 2012 postseason En route to Ray Lewis's last ride. I think that was revenge enough. I think that should have forgiven all past sins because by then both teams got what they wanted. They each had a Super Bowl piece going into that game. Ravens walked away with their second piece of hardware following that postseason. It's done. It is what it is. There's no beef. There shouldn't be. It, you know, precisely. Yeah, and it's not like the hatred that cleveland has for baltimore anyway for similar but different reasons but we'll get into that later we'll, we'll, we'll actually talk a little more about that article and that history once that game rolls around now grant let's get us back on track talking about this past sunday a lot of milestones a lot of things happened walk me through here lamar jackson's impressive day and we're not talking about his stat line but what he put together and talk to me about the defense more importantly that defense stepping up man what what, what do you have to say about sunday i think there's a lot of positives to pull out of it um you know the colts are colts are a tough team you know um i mentioned before i'm you know with the, with our lineup you know i didn't think that i thought we matched up well with them um and that, that's why even when I mentioned before without Marlon Humphrey I wasn't too too concerned but still it's not a discredit to the Colts it's where I think the matchups lie and within the game itself with the X's and O's um you know there were some positives to pull out of the game but there was also you know a lot of negatives too um you know of course Lamar's the one in the spotlight he's the one that's going to get the criticism but Lord have mercy we got to do something about that interior offensive line I mean you got scurred not even getting the ball off the ground on snaps. Lamar's saving them with one-handed snags, looking like he's Ozzie Smith out there, the St. Louis Cardinals. So, you know, it, like those types of things, they throw off the rhythm of the play. Like, you know, this comes down to execution. I mean, that's your job, you know, to, to have that many errant snaps within a game, um, you know, the Greg Roman's offense is a rhythm offense. You know, everything's based off the RPO. So, you know, one little slight, you know, fumble on a snap or bad snap or not a clean exchange on a handoff, you know, that throws off the entire 
timing of the block scheme, the, you know, the blockers on the outside, the running lane itself, you know, it's very minimal running lanes, um, but they are there. Um, you know, when I'm watching all the replays that they're showing on the game and it seems like every single time, and I mentioned it on Twitter is that, you know, I feel like every single replay, you know, it was either Skura or Bozeman laying flat on their back. And yeah, I mean, you know, credit the Colts line, you know, they've got an underrated defensive line, but man, dude, you, you know, you get paid too. And, you know, that can't happen as frequent as it happened. I mean, when Lamar, we can't even get passes more than 15, 20 yards down the field because he just doesn't even have the time, even in a shotgun snap. I mean, they're in his lap as soon as the ball snapped. And it's, you know, they're bringing, of course, when you have the luxury of that interior pass rush and you're beating somebody up on the inside, then you can start bringing that DB off the edge or that fourth and fifth rusher. You know, you can kind of combo blitz. You know, those are some of the negative things I saw. You know, Lamar, I thought he he did great. You know, he's still sticking to the middle of the field, but I just think that's a flow of the game with the, like once again, the interior line getting blown up. But he did what he had to do, and, you know, he managed the game. They said he couldn't come back. They said he couldn't beat good teams while he was behind. You know, he did all that. He did it on the road to snap. You know, they were 6-0 and against us in Lucas Oil Stadium. So, you know, he, he had a lot of positives, and you're not going to hear a lot about it, but – you know, because he didn't put up Madden numbers of 350 yards and four touchdowns and 100 rushing yards and two touchdowns. You know, that seems like the only time that he gets credibility on any network or if he makes a highlight play where he basically puts somebody's shoes tied together and they fall down. Um, but, you know, the guy gets so much criticism and I don't understand why and I'll never understand why because he's an even better person than he is a football player. And for as young as he is and the, the spotlight that he's in, um, you know, I think that speaks volumes on him. I love how everybody stands behind him. He stands behind himself. And I think that this guy, I think we're only going to go up from here personally, you know, marketing the injuries and everything like that. You know, Stanley is a huge, 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 huge loss. Um, we just got to make it happen. You know, they're going to have to dial up some, you know, combo blocks on the line, you know, some more help, you know, more fullback or two tight end, uh, you know, situations, um, you know, but the, the options are there. And, and I think that the game was a great game and a good kind of coming out party from the heartbreaker against Pittsburgh. Uh, but I look for the Ravens to kind of continue on track and elevate themselves. And Lamar gained some confidence from this game as he should have. Man, you got to stack those wins, stack those wins. And I'm glad you mentioned that streak too. This was the Ravens' first victory visiting Indianapolis since their inception in 96. Um, but going from one streak to another, and again, this was a great victory and all, um, now the spotlight primetime Sunday night football Ravens traveling to Foxborough to take on the Patriots to play in a venue in which they'd never won in the regular season. Yet the Ravens have beat that ass plenty of times on the road in the playoffs. Now, Grant, I'm going to bring it back to you again. Talk to me about this Sunday night game. I want you to focus on a very specific angle here. And we're talking specifically about the wide receivers. And the reason why is because your boy Des Bryant is going to be active for the second week in a row. Yet he didn't see a whole lot of action the first time. So two topics. One, is Des Bryant going to get more action, going to be worked in the rotation a bit more on Sunday night? And two, how important is it for the wide receivers to bail out Lamar in this game if the O-line has another repeat of that first half against the Colts? 
I mean, you know how excited I was, you know, just seeing him out there, even in warmups, it was like, you know, everything that guy's been through, you know, it's awesome to see something out of, you know, somebody that's really changed everything about themselves, you know, really kind of matured. And, you know, he's just, he, he just, he cares. He loves the game of football. And, you know, that's a dangerous thing is somebody that's talented. You know, he's only 31 still people, you know, I mentioned before people act like he's like 38 or 39 makes no sense to me. Um, he had a, a big injury, but that was two years ago. People have big injuries last year that are still prominent players in the NFL. I mean, you know, medical advancements have recovery times, you know, insane right now. But, you know, back at, to the game itself, you know, I, it was good to see him out there. I didn't expect much out of him. My prediction for him was three targets, two catches, and 21 yards. Um, he didn't even get a target. He really didn't get many snaps. I think he might have got like three or four snaps, but – you know, it was just getting his feet wet, you know, getting him back out on the field, you know, getting the whole feeling of the game of football back. You know, you have so many emotions when you're going through stuff like that. And I, I think that he's going to, you know, I think he needs to be a part of the offense, whether it's on the field more in running situations to, you know, be that blocker on the outside, um, you know, put him and Boykin on the same side, run a double tight end set, boom, run, you know, something off tackle. And, you know, you got a wall out there, even with your receiver. So, you know, just utilizing the weapons that you have, I think he's going to continue to help that receiving room mature as well. Um, the only thing is, is kind of like where, you know, where does he fit in? You know, who, who, whose spot does he take once, you know, Marlon comes back and now Tremont Williams is activated. Uh, but, you know, I think that, I think that he not just being biased, but he does need to be a part of this team moving forward uh, because of what he brings. And I think he deserves the shot. Um, and we needed that presence on the outside. You know, I mentioned it earlier, Lamar just kind of, you know, predominantly is comfortable in the middle of the field just for what he's being given. Um, but, you know, you have that 50-50 ball or one-on-one man on the outside. So when they do get in those zero coverages or those man situations where they stack the box on Lamar and you run that little RPO, you know, throw it up to him. I mean, Dez is, Dez is what Dez is, man. He's, he's a 50-50 baller. He's going to moss you. You know, he's going to treat it like he's a power forward and Charles Barkley to death. Um, but, you know, I, th I think that that's going to be important for this game coming up. I'd like to see him get on the field a little bit more, maybe make a couple catches, get in rhythm. But I, I, I see this as a, as a Hollywood game. Um, I, I don't know who they're going to try to match up. I don't see them matching up Stephon Gilmore on him if he's back. But, you know, I, I do see, you know, Hollywood kind of being maybe like an eight to ten targeter at this game because um, I think that we're going to establish the run. But – you know, there's always a game when the Ravens play the Patriots. There's a game within the game between, you know, Belichick and Harbaugh. And Harbaugh's not going to take it light on. He never does against the Patriots. He might against other teams, but for some reason against the Patriots, he keeps the foot on the throat. And I think even if we establish that run, um, it's going to come It's going to come all back to that interior line. But, you know, I, I think the receiving core is going to do well. Um, Mark Andrews needs to get more involved to open up a little bit more in the running game too. He hasn't really looked like himself, but he hasn't really had much of the opportunity to. Um, but, you know, like I said, you know, of course I want to see Dez out there. I think Hollywood's going to do well. Um, I look for good matchups, you know, they have a good secondary, you know, Patriots secondary is no slouch. Um, so, it, you know, I, I think that we kind of control our own destiny that that game is cliche as it sounds. That is not a cliche at all. And if anything, that actually sounds like the best bet because I believe Caesar's sports book has the Ravens or will have the Ravens listed as the overwhelming favorites, um, especially in light of Monday night football and the way the Patriots almost folded to the jets, which we'll get into a little bit later. Now, Jake, um, Let's key in on that a little bit and how that's going to influence Sunday night football. Don't know how much you were able to catch a Monday night, but 
the simple fact that Joe Flacco had a throwback of a night, which again, we'll discuss later um, against the Bill Belichick led defense. Cause it is still Bill's defense. Let, let's not get that twisted. The Patriots is their defense really that bad. Was Joe that good? I mean, what was the deal there? And more to the point, is this going to be a game where Greg Roman's going to do the opposite of what I want, which is for him to run the football, but will he find success with the passing game? Talk to me about those two factors, mainly the Patriots secondary. For me personally, if I'm calling the game, I avoid the outside at all costs. That's the strength of their defense. You saw Patrick Chung opted out of the season due to COVID. Dante Hightower opted out of the season due to COVID. Several other players did the same thing and, their secondary, specifically their corners, and then Devin McCourty, that is the strength of their team. Avoid that strength. If you're going to target him, maybe you go tight end over the middle. But even then, you saw what the Bills did to them a couple of weeks ago. They pounded the rock. Zach Moss got after him for 14 carries for 81 yards on a couple touches. You, you pound him into oblivion. This is a game for the offensive line to get right because that defensive line isn't great. They might be able to stuff the run. They're not great at generating pressure without blitzing. So all things considered, pound the rock, bludgeon them, take the take the game twenty to three. That's fine by me. But I think I wouldn't count out the Belichick led Patriots because I mean the man's seen over forty years of football. He's seen every kind of offense there is to see. He has a plan for just about everybody. It's a matter of those players making those plays. But all things considered. I ain't sleeping on Belichick. Think about it. They, I mean, this is like over a month ago, but flashback to week four. If you didn't, if you weren't stuck with Jarrett Stidham in that quarterback or Ryan Hoyer against the Kansas City Chiefs, there's a chance they beat the Chiefs in Foxborough because they had a plan for Patrick Mahomes. And quite frankly, he didn't play all that well. Neither did that offense really. But of course you got stuck playing one-handed because you're stuck with freaking Stidham and Hoyer having to throw the ball. So then you throw two pick sixes, if I remember right. I know one was to to Tyron Matthew, and that basically swung the game and broke the doors open. So all things considered, you can't sleep on them. But that being said, if you don't turn the ball over, this shouldn't be a game to sweat out. This should be a pretty convincing win, and the offensive line and the running game gets back on track. But that's just my take on it. Well, I'm glad that we're all on the same page here thinking that this is going to be exactly how it's prognosticated, that it's going to be, a, it should be a pretty convincing win. I'm not going to say that the Ravens are going to run away, away with it, but I think that uh, we're going to see this as the second of those stacked wins that I was alluding to. The team's got to stack wins because right now the focus is on getting as, uh, into as much of a groove as possible before the next game against the, the Steelers on Thanksgiving. Now, from one Belichick-led defense to a Belichick disciple, if you will. Romeo Cornell is the interim head coach of the Houston Texans, as we all know. And he won his first game as interim head coach, being the Jacksonville Jaguars 27-25. In addition, uh, in other NFL action, the Atlanta Falcons finally did not blow a lead. They beat the Denver Broncos 34-27. The game, however, that I want to focus on next is going to be the Dallas Cowboys almost defeating the Pittsburgh Steelers, the undefeated Pittsburgh Steelers uh, to (laughs) almost give them the first loss of the season. The Cowboys though blew it in the fourth quarter, lost 24 to 19. Grant, I want to start with you, your reaction to this game. Are the Steelers really 
as good as the record says. And again, uh, before I get into that, real quick note, uh, this now marks, I believe, the 14th consecutive season in which Mike Tomlin will record a non-losing record, which great coach, but as a coach of the Steelers, brings me much shame. But Grant, back to you. What are, what are your thoughts on uh, the Steelers? Look, man, eight no's, eight no. Um, but they could easily be, you know, three and five. Um, they got outplayed that game. Garrett Gilbert. Garrett Gilbert balled out on them. You know, they got saved on some ticky tack situations. You know, that third and ten that brought fourth down because Jalen Smith's hand so much as hits the helmet. Yeah, I guess it's a rule or whatever. It's a stupid rule. You don't call that penalty in that situation and then not call it on the very next drive when Gilbert gets smacked in the face. So if you're going to call it one way, call it the other. And that was a big situation. Would have given them 15 yards on that drive and put them in more prime position to make a play at the end zone. But, you know, the Steelers are, you know, who they are. I mean, um, one of my buddies the other day on Twitter put up, it was like a, uh, like a chart profile of, you know, penalty differential for the teams that benefit the most on penalties. And the Steelers were the number one team by far that benefit the most in penalty situations versus any other team. I would have thought the Seahawks are the Chiefs um, personally, but you know we got we can't forget that you know they're they're a good storyline. You know, right now Big Ben's back. You know, doing what they're doing, but I don't think they're anywhere close to being an eight and O team. If I look at the eight and O teams in the past couple of years, you know the teams that had made it that far, they're light years ahead of what the Steelers are, and they're just a they're they've been a very fortunate team this year. I'll say. Um, you know, we should have dusted them and we, I mean, Ravens, but we Ravens should have dusted them. You know, the four turnovers, you know, the big one in the red zone, you know, those things, they come back to haunt you. And then you still have a chance to win the game in a last possession playing like that. You know, they dominated the entire game. You know, Steelers have not had a game yet that I've seen personally where they've actually absolutely dominated the game, except for maybe the Titans game. And, you know, I, I think that they're, beyond beatable by any everybody talks about they have an easy schedule the rest of the way but we just watched them lose almost lose to you know the broncos they almost lost to the giants they almost lost to um the cowboys you know they should have lost to us like you know like the, they they weren't they weren't the better team in those games but they came out on top so you have to give them credit when credit's due eight knows eight no um but you know, they're not impressive whatsoever to me, even still. No, we're going to be accused of having sour grapes. But Jake, moving on to you, your thoughts on the AFC North leading Pittsburgh Steelers. Do you really think that they could run the table potentially or come close to it? You mean going 16 and 0? Well, 16 and 0, or at the very least, the number one seed in the AFC. Can they do it? Absolutely. With all due respect, they, outside of the Cleveland game, Every win they've had is actual, and I think outside of Cleveland and the Giants, every win has been a one-score game, whether it's Denver, whether it's the Texans, whether it's the Ravens, whether it's the Eagles, the Titans, the Cowboys. They find ways to win, and you got to give them credit for that because that's heart, resolve. That's heart and tremendous resolve, and that is a trademark of a champion. That being said, as Grant said, they could very easily be five and three, six and two, four and four, if things didn't quite go in their favor. And it was funny to watch two weeks in a row the game come down to the same exact thing, which is a throw to the end zone. 
on back-to-back. It happened with us and Lamar. Happened to last week with Garrett Gilbert. So all things considered, you got to give them their credit. As Bill Parcell says, your record is you are what your record says you are. And they're 8-0. I suppose I'll throw this question out because I feel like it. Who is better, this Steelers team or the Patriots team from last year to start out 8-0 and before we waxed them? Oh, for sure. It was last year's Patriots team, and that's why last year was such a big deal. All right. Well, to that point, something to consider about the Steelers. It's not a given that they go as a number one seed because throughout the history of Mike Tomlin coaching that team, they have found ways to blow it against the bottom feeders of the AFC. That team gets up to play against the cream of the crop, so they'll play you tooth and nail, whether it's the Saints, whether it like in 2018, whether it's the Patriots, when they got their first win against them, like in Pittsburgh. Keep in mind that same year, week 14, they did lose to the Raiders at the Coliseum. I mean, that's been kind of an accursed place for them anyway, but the Raiders are really bad that season. So they find ways to lose to bad teams. It happens. That's also the trademark of a Mike Tomlin coach team. He's a great coach. I don't give him the particular respect that he deserves, but I mean, I should because he hasn't had a losing season throughout his entire career. You got to get, you got to give him that. And he's been coaching that team since 2007. So you can't give all that. You can't give that credit to Bill Cowher anymore. He's been consistent. Every year he's been consistent. Maybe they've been, maybe they just miss out in the playoffs while they retool. But I mean, shoot, 2014 to 2017, they've made the playoffs four straight years, won the division three out of those four years. Gotta give them their respect. This year in particular, they can be had. They can definitely be had. And we'll find out a whole lot about that team come Thanksgiving. But all things considered, I also don't want to overlook the team we play right before them, which is the Tennessee Titans. And another tidbit of news, finding out about Calais Campbell and his calf strain, which is making him week to week and may cause him to miss multiple games. I like him. to. I hope he stays healthy for the playoffs. That's what I would like to see. Keep him fresh. That being said, when you have Derrick Henry coming into town and you're missing your second best defensive player and your best player among the, like along the trenches for that game. And for Pittsburgh where James Conner and them are going to want to run the ball. That hurts. That really hurts. But I mean, we'll wait and see, but long story short, Pittsburgh is good. They're a very good team. They have the second best defense in the league. The Ravens are number one. Argue with me on Twitter about that if you want, no matter who you are listening. But nonetheless, they are an excellent defense. I got to give them their credit. Even without Devin Bush, they are. I, I concur. I mean, as much as we hate the Steelers, we have to admit that they do have a great defensive unit, uh, arguably a better defensive unit than they have any right to have, given all that's happened to their roster the past couple of years. Um, but you're right to look at the schedule because the next two Sundays could tell a lot about the AFC North race because the Ravens, as it stands, are two and a half games behind, going to need the Steelers to drop two along the way and for the Ravens to win out potentially to have any shot at that AFC North title uh, this Sunday, the Steelers host the Cincinnati Bengals who actually have a very good chance of beating the Steelers with or without Ben Roethlisberger. Um, 
Roethlisberger currently in COVID protocol due to having close contact with tight end Vance McDonald, who tested positive. But Roethlisberger could be cleared as early as Sunday for, or excuse me, Saturday for Sunday's game. Um, but more to the point, should the Steelers drop that one, that gives the Ravens a bit of hope, even if the Steelers and the Ravens were both to win the following Sunday in their respective games, Steelers against the Jags. Titans coming to town to play the Ravens setting the stage for that Thanksgiving game where that could be the game to decide the division should both teams win out at that point. Um, so I, I, this, this is, I hate to say this, but there's a lot riding on the next three weeks. And even if the Ravens were to win out the next three games, Steelers drop one or two, including that Thanksgiving game. I mean, I don't know what happens with the division if the Ravens suddenly stumble again, say to the Dallas Cowboys in an upset. Des Bryant's uh, return game against his former team. I would hate to see that because I think that does give the division virtually to the Steelers no matter what is what it feels like. But I, I don't know what the playoff picture looks like. Don't know the implications. So either way, got to keep all avenues open. Um probably the last topic of the night. And this is the big one that I wanted to hit that I know the two of you are anxious to jump on on Monday night football. Joseph Vincent Flacco was his former self. Once more, uh, hit a couple of milestones, uh, as a result of his banner day going 18 of 25 for 262 yards and three touchdowns. One bad pick late in the game, but we're not going to put the loss on that. Dropping that contest, 30-27 to the New England Patriots. Jets are 0-9 for the first time in franchise history. Joe Flacco's certainly never been 0-9. But guys, I'm starting with you, Grant. Joe Flacco, we got to put some respect on his name. Talk to the people. Let's talk about that game. Talk about our quarterback, our former quarterback. <laughs> Man, I was, I, I'm one of the biggest, like, I was one of the biggest Flacco haters especially towards the end of the years. Um, I called for Lamar to be drafted and, and us to, for us the first round that year and got a lot of hate on it from Facebook groups. And then all of a sudden, you know, a couple of years later, everybody's praising, but I don't want to take credit for it or anything. Um, Cause I wanted him, you know, as our, as you know, our, I think we picked 16 that year. Um, I wanted him originally at 16. And I just saw something in the guy um, Flacco ever since his knee injury never really was the same. You know, he had, problems holding onto the ball in the pocket too long you know somebody came around him he would trip over his own feet and fall down and sack himself in big situations you know he you could tell that was in the back of his mind great dude um did a lot for the organization um i just never was really a fan um so you know he did some big things it was good it was awesome to see him get in um get a chance and i thought that he bought out man he was throwing darts and he was putting man, that though he had the Jameson Crowders, probably the best throw that I've seen this season so far. And I'm not even exaggerating. You know, when you look at the trajectory, the circumstances, the pass that he squeezed in, the, the coverage was fantastic. And he put that in the only spot that could possibly be caught. I mean, that that I'd like to see that percentage of catch rate for that that actual, you know, throw right there um, that he had. I know I've seen, you know, like ESPN Sports Science does stuff like that. But no, I mean, he was throwing darts. I mean, it was, and, and then, you know, Perryman was actually hanging onto the ball, which is, you know, we've never seen before as Ravens fans. Um, but, you know, he was using that speed. You know, you could tell him and Flacco had reported with each other that, you know, they were one on one. I thought that, you know, the, the Jets won that game. They just got out coached at the end. Gase is a freaking goofball. And, 
has no idea what clock management is, but you know, Flacco did enough to win that game and it was awesome to see him do that. So that's good for him. And I'd like to see him get an opportunity to, you know, to continue trying to prove himself. He had no weapons and and he did what he did. Granted, you know, he does have kind of, you know, Max and I mentioned this before the show, um, you know, he's got kind of the, the Patriots number, you know, he's always giving them fits. You know, he, he, he pushes the ball down the field. He throws outside the numbers. He's not afraid to test them on that. And even though that is their strength, that's something that, you know, sometimes you have to attack something's strength uh, to bring out their weaknesses. And, you know, he was taking advantage of, of you know, that, that secondary last night, you know, that no Gilmore, but, you know, J.C. Jackson's no slouch. I really liked him coming out of Maryland in the draft. You know, he's not a number one or number two, but he's a very formidable man coverage cornerback. And I thought, you know, he made up for it, had a really nice pick, but, you know, I, th- I think that, you know, it's still Joe Flacco and the Jets offensive line, you know, especially when Becton got hurt early on, you know, then they were having a makeshift line and Flacco still did his thing, man. So kudos to Joe. It was awesome to see. And, uh, you know, I don't know what's going to happen from here forward, you know, but it was it was a good game by him man. good game by Joe. Now we're going to talk about the future of the Jets after we get Jake's reaction in just a sec. Now, Jake, um Talk to us again, January Joe showing up in November, arguably his best game, at least in the past three years. But I believe certainly since his uh, injury back in 2015, your thoughts on this uh, masterful Monday night performance? Well, I mean, I'm not going to go his best since his injury because, I mean, he's had a five touchdown game in that point whenever he threw the five TDs against the Dolphins back in 2016. But that being said, it's is easily his best game since he left ball since he was re- traded away from the Ravens. I got love for that dude. I mean, I defended him up until we drafted Lamar Jackson, being like he's not like he's a good player. He needs some pieces around him so that doesn't make him what Bucky Brooks and Daniel Jeremiah I have term as a truck in the in the. In the example of a diesel truck, he's not the driver. He'd be more the trailer. But that being said, you give him a team he can play. That's That was always my thought about that dude. Because, I mean, look at 2012. You gave him a good little team. He goes on a hot streak. But throughout his throughout his career, whether it be consistent or maddeningly, maddeningly inconsistent, he's always shown up at Foxborough against the Patriots and at Heinz Field against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Not early on in his career, but once he figured out that Dick LeBeau defense, he consistently picked them apart. And Steeler fans didn't like him specifically because of that. Before, they didn't use to fear. And then that was when that little Flacco chant came up back in 2011. And then he hits the game winner to Torrey Smith to win that game 23-20. to Beautiful day. That was the first time I recall we swept the Pittsburgh Steelers under the John Harbaugh uh, era. But Indeed. all things considered, I love was it. I've always got love for that dude. He's the best quarterback in Ravens history. Maybe maybe Lamar Jackson changes that. But that being said, actually, you probably will. That's but, not I mean, saying much, though. <laughs> that, that's true. But you got to give the respect where it's due. He brought home a Super Bowl. It was largely based on him playing extremely well and finding Anquan Bolden, who went nuclear through that playoff span, getting open, making consistent in contested catches, and Flacco trusting him, also just making dime throws, like the throw to Dennis Pitta in the end zone of the Super Bowl. That was a dart. But 
I love seeing that. Furthermore, like what Grant said, what the hell do the Jets have? They don't have anybody on that team. They got Frank Gore, who's still in the league and can barely run as their running back. Perriman, who's shown his flashes of inconsistency, whether it was in Cleveland or with the Bucks. We won't talk about his time with the Ravens because he was consistent with the Ravens. Consistently bad. Let's be real. But he he and Joe played well together. Crowder's getting up. But the fact that he played the way he did against that defense and that second secondary with nothing around him. I mean, nothing. He doesn't have they don't the Jets don't have offensive skill players. That's the worst situation in the NFL. Worse than Philly. Think about anybody else. The Jets have the worst set of skill players in the league, whether it's tight end, running back, quarterback, receiver. They have nothing. But Joe making it work the way he did, I love seeing that vintage performance and hats off to him. He can it's whether it's his swan song, whether that's the last game he plays for his career, I like that he was able to show out in the end and play the way he did. And nothing but good vibes and good things for Joe Flacco. Cause I think we as Ravens fans are kind of indebted to him for that 2012 season and even 2011 to an extent. And 2014 also was a good year too, but it was just the fact that the, you know, the Ravens had not had a homegrown quarterback that was any good until Flacco came along for him to have, have consistently progressed as he did from 2008 up through 2012. Um, just the fact that Flacco brought home a Super Bowl, did it on his own arm, um, didn't have a defense to rely on. Because remember, that defense in the regular season was ranked 17th in yards allowed and 12th in points allowed. So that was a middle-of-the-road defense. You had Ray Lewis playing on one arm, and most everyone on the defense is shell their former selves. But you know, Flacco did it with an offense that wasn't spectacular but was good enough to put up points and win. And more to the point, he played well in the clutch. Um, I have to go back and look at the numbers, but he had at least four comeback drives that season, um, and especially in the playoffs, to come back the way he did against Denver to completely dominate the Patriots in the second half of that game. I mean, that was uh, that was that was phenomenal. So we salute you, Joe Flacco potentially one last time, but we're not done with the jets just yet. No fellas. No, I got to ask the both of you. And this is a topic we'll probably revisit often. Shout out to Michael palace, the uh, eternally tortured jets fan and jets writer for NZI. Um, have to wonder guys, Grant, I'm going to start with you. Are the jets going to be purposely in tank mode from here? Now that they're Oh, and nine, they are, I believe, mathematically eliminated. They certainly don't have a shot at winning the AFC East, and I doubt that they can get a playoff berth otherwise. Do the Jets tank for Trevor? One. Two, whether or not they tank, depending on their high pick, do they trade down? Two-part question. Go. I mean, I'm one of those people, though, that I don't agree with that. Like, as a competitor by nature, I think that that's one of the weakest things that you can do as a man and in sports is try to tank your season. I don't care how bad you are. It's a next man up mentality. You got guys trying to fight for their careers and their dreams. So these guys that are third and fourth stringers are getting a shot. Yeah, they might not be as good, but they're going to give it everything they have. And I don't think any team will necessarily tank um, because you still don't, you know, Trevor Lawrence is an unproven commodity in the NFL. You never know what you're going to get at the next level. You know, we've seen it time and time again. Um, So you don't want to, you know, they've already – pretty much sold the farm, which is, you know, stupid in its own right. 
Um, but, you know, I, I think that they, they're still going to continue to play. I mean, they played hard last night. Um, they just got out coached, which is going to happen week in and week out with Bozo as the, at the head of the helm. Um, and, you know, I, I, I look for them to be competitive. I mean, I don't see them going 0-16. I think that they win a game, uh, maybe two. Uh, I think that last night might have sparked a little bit something, and you know, you know, you know. Sometimes some teams, even though they're bad, they need kind of like something to kind of wake them up. And you know, that primetime game, you know, they played a great game, both sides of the ball essentially. You know, but um, you know, I'd look for them to to not really focus on the first pick overall, but just focus on ending the year health, you know, healthier than they are right now, and you know, just fight competitively i don't think any jets player in that locker room if you went up to him like would you tank they probably you know might smack the phone out of your hand or something like you know like no no player in the nfl is okay with losing now with that said jake your thoughts again same questions are the dolphins gonna tank for trevor lawrence and whether or not they do so if they're high draft pick do they trade down if they get the first pick i don't see them trading down only because Teams don't give that up for anything. And unless there's someone out there who believes they're really a quarterback away or they believe Trevor Lawrence is their guy, you might have to send four first-round picks to get to that spot, whether it's that year and then a future and three future first-round picks. I mean, you'd have to give up a King's Ransom to get to the first overall pick in the draft. I think they'll get there. I could definitely see them going 0-16. But I also could see them just going over in 16 because they're bad. You know, I have to tank to do that. They they are what they are. The Jets are an an abysmal train wreck. Sam Darnold has been ruined by that team, that organization, and that coaching staff. He's consistently had a bad team around him. They are, like, the defense was, eh. All I can really say, it was, that was what it was when he was first drafted. Last year with... If Greg Williams calling the plays, they are frisky and they blitz a lot. But that being said, I mean, they are who the hell they were. The Jets are, have not and will not be a very good team until things get cleared up. You need people in the right direction. Maybe Joe Douglas is that dude. Adam Gase is not as a, as a coach, not by any stretch. He shouldn't be anyone's head coach. He shouldn't be a peewee football coach as a head man. I'll be honest. He got his mark because... He did good things with Peyton Manning as his quarterback's coach and eventual offensive coordinator and did good things with Jake Cutler as his offensive coordinator in Chicago. So then he gets his job in Miami. Then he gets his job in with New York, which I still don't understand, which is funny because the Jets tried doing that same thing with Doug Marone after he quit on the Bills. The Jets tried getting him. He said no, and no one else came calling. So he had to wait a year until Jacksonville came calling. When he'll probably be gone after this year too, anyway, because the Jet the Jaguars aren't very good either. But that being said, since we're talking about the Jets, they have many issues that they need to resolve. I believe Eve Sam Darnold is an incomplete product. He hasn't had a fair shot in the NFL, like at least on par with with a Tim Couch or a David Carr, because he's been in a horrible situation and miss in just flat out just bad people around him. Maybe he's not, I mean, he's not better than Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen. Those are easily the two best quarterbacks out of the 2018 class. But it's crazy to think the consensus from every draft expert 
coming into like from all the major sports networks was Sam Darnold is the guy. He's the future of the NFL, and he will be one of the great ones. And for all of them to be that wrong on him, it's crazy. And I don't think he's a bad quarterback by any stretch. He turns the ball over quite a bit, but also, I mean, send him some, you send him somewhere else to a more stable organization who can actually teach him the nuances of being an NFL quarterback or give him a good backup to work with and maybe some receivers. Because, I mean, you ain't going to win many games with, with no disrespect to Jameson Crowder, but Jameson Crowder, Brashad Perriman, and I don't know who the hell is that. Braxton Berrios. I didn't know that person was a person. Let's be real. That's <laughs> what it is. He sounds like he'd be like a rapper or something. That's actually a great stage name. He's Braxton quick, though, Berrios. man. He was, ni- he was nice at the University of Miami. He's quick. I mean, he, he hey, he's he's got that speed, and it seems like the Jets almost went in terms of evaluating talent. It's like they came from the Al Davis school of speed. Wait, that didn't sound right phrasing. Um, but it, I mean, they value forty times above all else is what it seems because it sure as shit isn't you know any other skill set. Um, but guys, I think that gives me an idea for I think a future off season segment or segments plural series of segments. Uh, just talking about how we would rebuild certain teams, and you know the Jets have to be number one on our list because you've got you, you've got a terrible head coach there who if he's not fired, I don't know what they're doing. But you got a dumpster fire organization. I feel bad for Joe Douglas because as a former Ravens personnel guy, I mean he's got this crap hand he's got to deal with. It is what it is, but. You know, more on that. Probably they called him last night asleep on TV. <laughs> <laughs> did you see that video? I did not see that it video. Was on TV and somebody uh, recorded it and put it on Twitter. And this dude was asleep during the game. They were like, I guess this is what happens when you're an 0 8 team. <laughs> I mean, it's, and I hate to say it, I would too. Even if they were paying me to put that team together and you've got this head coach who isn't doing shit. Of that personnel yeah that was their one exciting game though <laughs> hey i mean if there was ever a game to fall asleep to let it be one that would eventually disappoint you right come on so um but yeah we'll talk more jets in the offseason most likely we'll try, probably talk about the development of sam darnold and that'll be interesting if they end up unloading darnold anyway um, but that's going to do it for us for this episode episode six of the zone 32 podcast that a very productive show making up for uh the absence of shows for quite some time so we apologize to our loyal listeners we'll be more consistent in the future um in the meantime until next time this has been your all 32 podcast zone 32 presented by neutral zone infraction follow us on twitter at nzi properties and online at neutralzoneinfraction.com i'm max he's jake he's grant good night see ya max grant jake Zone 32, only on NeutroZoneInfraction.com. NZI Properties.